G'day and welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate studies here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and the CFRC. So thank you very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the shows at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either SoundCloud or iTunes. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Today, however, I would like to introduce you to Christiana Ochery, who is doing a PhD in Rehabilitation Science under the supervision of Drs. Heather Aldersley and Rosemary Lysat. Welcome to Grad Chat with Christiana. Thank you, Colette. It's nice to be here. Now, we were just having a giggle beforehand because I kept... <laughs> saying Christiana's last name wrong. I was pronouncing it the Canadian way, which is totally wrong. So it took me a few practices, but we got there. Yeah, we? yeah, we got it right. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, first Canadian to get it right. Woo-hoo! So well done. Well, you know what? I'm not Canadian, I'm Australian. <laughs> You're so. Australian. So wow, thumbs up to so Australia then. Come on, Canada, you can do better. So. <laughs> now, uh, Christiana, you're from Ghana. Yes. So what made you come to Queen's to do your graduate research? So thank you. I've been always looking out for PhD opportunities. And so I looked at um, various schools in the States. I looked in Canada and I was trying to find a program that would really suit my interest. And so searching online and asking friends and searching I came across um, rehabilitation science at Queen's University and it suited perfectly what I wanted to do. So I just decided to give it a shot. I I hadn't heard about Kingston. I didn't know about Queen's University. I didn't really care about the ranking. I was just looking at the program and how it would benefit me. Uh, so you've been here, what, two or three years? Three years. Three years now. Yes. Right. So yeah. What do you think of Kingston and the Canadian winter? I think is about just around the corner. You know, it's so interesting how I come from a climate, a hot climate, but really enjoy the winter. So my favorite seasons are the fall and the winter. I don't know. I just love jackets, colorful jackets. I just like to, <laughs> you know, cover myself and sleep. And so I think I've really gotten used to the, the cold and so I really don't like summer. Winter is my favorite. Well, that's handy then, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> if we have a long winter like we did last year, you're going to be really suited for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's an absolute classic. So I guess we should get on to your research. Yeah. Your research topic is inclusive education for children with intellectual and developmental disabilities in Ghana. Mm-hmm, yeah. Can you give us a bit of an overview of what that research is about? I'm looking at access to inclusive education for children with intellectual and developmental disabilities in Accra, Ghana. And it's a manuscript style. So I'm going to have three manuscripts from this thesis. So the first one is a scoping review. And that one, I'm looking at how inclusive education is implemented with children with intellectual and developmental disabilities in African countries. So I did a scoping review, trying to understand how it is implemented with these children. And the second manuscript, I looked at the experiences of children with intellectual and developmental disabilities 
in inclusive schools in Accra, Ghana. So it was just uh, my participants were children with IDD. And when I say IDD, it's just an abbreviated form of intellectual and developmental disabilities. And then the third manuscript, I looked at the experiences of teachers in delivering education to children with IDD in inclusive schools in Accra, Ghana. So understanding children's experiences, understanding teachers' experiences to see what practices need to be changed to advance inclusive education in Ghana and similar African countries for children with IDD. Okay, so what inspired you to do this? Because that's a a huge project that you're taking. Yeah, it is. Before my PhD, I worked for five years in a a local NGO in Ghana, and it's called Data Bank Foundation, and the organization focuses on mental health, leadership development, and education. So I was with them for five years, and it exposed me to children with IDD. These children were kept in a psychiatric hospital, and so I would go there, try to find occupational therapists, speech therapists for these children. And so in my work with them, I, I developed um, like a passion to, to contribute to their advancement. And I know that education is one of the key determinants to success. And so I decided to just venture into inclusive education and understand how it can support these children to be better people in future. So let's, let's backtrack a little bit. What okay. is your actual background though, before you went Great. with the NGO? What have, you, what have you done before? Yeah, so I studied English and linguistics for my undergrad at the University of Ghana, right. in Ghana, and then I moved on to do my master's in international relations. And so when I was doing my master's, I, I still focused on children with IDD, but I did not look at inclusive schools at that point. Mm-hmm. I just focused on children with IDD in special segregated schools. So for my master's, it wasn't inclusive schools. I looked at special segregated schools. But this time in my PhD, I decided to move into inclusive education because inclusive education has been internationally recognized as the best approach to educating all children, including children with IDD. Yes. Okay, so you're talking about IDD, which is intellectual and developmental disabilities. So you're not actually talking about physical disabilities. No, no, it's not physical. Yeah. Okay, so what made you go on the IDD side and not include? Because when you talk about inclusivity, there are at times some some children who have uh, physical disabilities. Yes. Who who aren't always integrated into the same sort of classroom. So why did you hone in on more of the intellectual? Like I said from the beginning, the NGO that I worked with focused on children with IDD. And so I wasn't exposed to physical disabilities. So I was more attracted to children with IDD. And that's that's the main reason I decided to narrow to children with IDD because I wish I could do other types of disabilities, but for a PhD and for just, <laughs> I'm only here for actually three years, five months. Yes, I'm rounding up my program by December. Absolutely. and. And so I did not have the chance to do all types of disabilities. So for now, I am focusing on IDD. Uh, yeah, because it's interesting because if you think of some children who have, for instance, cerebral palsy, mm-hmm. they have both the physical and the intellectual. Exactly. So that they, they, they got both. Yeah. And uh, it's even harder for them, I would imagine. Yes, yes. Great. So that would be a great project. Yeah, later. yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know you're running out of time. I know these things happen. 
So what was your experience involving children within, with IDD in this research? And, and was there any particular sort of challenges? Yeah, so a lot of researchers have avoided actively engaging children with disabilities in research that concerns them. And in the beginning, I thought I wouldn't be able to do that because it has a lot of ethical and myth- Methodological issues, but I wanted to challenge myself, and so I decided to still include them. Now, this is what I did I used a number of data collection methods. I observed children for a period of um, minimum three hours, and then I did, I used art based methodology. So, in my case, I used drawings with children, and then I added interviews so that I could triangulate the data. So, observing children made them really get used to my presence presence because I found that a lot of them were unresponsive. Like when I was talking to them, um, a lot of them were shy. And so to overcome, for example, the challenge of unresponsiveness, I would invite some of their teachers into some of the interviews. So that's how I was able to mitigate some of these challenges. But observing them for about three hours really, really was helpful because the children, like they became my friends. And also using the drawing technique was really instrumental because I found that children like to to draw and they find it enjoyable and so even their friends who were not participants wanted to also be part people wanted to draw all of them were coming around me and now it was a challenge trying to get children off me right yeah so in the beginning it was challenging but in the end all the kids thought like okay she's going to let me draw and 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 so that was really 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 helpful but but this is children here in canada no this is children in ghana so you actually went home so to I, do this right Okay. Yeah, right. I went home in 2016. I was on the field in Ghana for three months. Right. I was in four different schools and all these schools are inclusive schools. And I was talking to not just children. I was also talking to their teachers just to understand the children's experiences and also understand the teachers' experiences and, and see how both of these experiences can can help children with IDD in future. So were these schools that you chose, the ones yeah. that were part of the data collection that you had when you're working with the NGO because I mean you can't go to all of the different schools yeah so these schools I did not get access to them through my NGO but I mean through working with my NGO I got to you know learn about other NGOs that were more directly involved with the government and so this inclusion Ghana so the director for inclusion Ghana helped me to be able to get to the Ministry of Education and so I was able to talk to the director for the Ministry of Education who then directed me to the Ministry of special education and this um, director for the ministry of special education gave me access to the district so i was in the east district and then they gave me access to the schools so it's kind of like a bureaucracy but by gosh grace in the end i was successful but with the ethics approval was that ethics approval through us here or through ghana or both both so i had to get one from queens and then i had to get one from ghana so you can imagine it was quite 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 the process yeah but in the end I'm happy I was able to do this research. It's been worth it, yeah. And so the teachers that you worked with in these schools, they were um, really happy that you're doing this kind of research? Yes, really. They were really happy. They told me that nobody has actually come to their districts to do this kind of research. They were so happy to learn that I'm coming from Canada and I'm also Ghanaian. I'm part of them. They were really, really, really receptive. Everybody wanted me to interview them, but I could only interview teachers who were teaching children with IDD. So that 
was part of my inclusion criteria and so at some point that some teachers were not so pleased that I couldn't interview them but it's just it just doesn't work that way and so they were really receptive and right now I have a number of teacher friends um, because of my research. Well that's handy. That's yes. Handy. The, the students and, and teachers that you've been working with and now these are in schools with inclusivity what made those particular schools in Ghana decide to include the, these children with with IDD as opposed to other schools? Well, I think it's more on the government level because the government of Ghana has policies on inclusive education which says that children with mild to moderate disabilities should be included. It should, okay. be, it should not be segregated, should not be put in special schools. And the government is trying its best to be able to implement this policy. And so it's not in all schools in Ghana. It's, it's like a gradual process. So the district that I went to is one of the districts that they are piloting this whole inclusive education in. And so they happen to be, like I would say, a blessed district um, to be able to, to do this. So what makes a child able to come to the combined school as opposed, because you said it with low to moderate, low to moderate. level intellectual yeah. disability or IDD. Who determines that scale? Is that another scale that the government has come up with or the education department has come up with? Okay, so there's a district in inclusive education team. This is made up of teachers. This is made up of district directors. This is made up of nurses. This is made up of clinical psychologists. And so they have some procedures that they follow to determine if a child has mild to moderate IDD. So in the beginning, they have the screening stage. So at this stage, they observe the children. And if in the observation, they think that the child may have IDD, they select that child and then they have what they call an assessment stage. So at this stage they make them take certain exams and based on children's performances they refer them to a clinical psychologist who run a number of tests to determine if a child has mild to moderate IDD or not. So if they have mild to moderate IDD then they put them in an inclusive school. If they have like profound severe then they refer them to a special segregated school. So there are still children with IDD who are educated in special segregated schools because inclusive education they in Ghana they limited to children with mild to moderate for now and you've got to make it so that everyone can learn in the classroom exactly yeah like have uh, make sure that these children can assess yeah Yeah. yes everyone gets an equal amount of time to be able to improve them exactly so it's like fair opportunities equity they have all the support they need in terms of resources and that barriers physical barriers attitudinal barriers are also removed and so that will be access so when i think about inclusive education i think about access i think about equity and then i think about support yeah it doesn't really matter where the place that the children are educated once they have access equity and support it is inclusive education yes so what I'd like to talk to you now, Christiana, you've been doing all this research, and as you mentioned, you did it in three manuscripts and looking at some data that you've got on, from, from Ghana, as well as your field trips to Ghana yeah. to actually interview some of these students and teachers in the classroom, which is fantastic. <laughs> very jealous, very jealous there. So what have you found as some of the key findings in your research right now? Okay, thank you. So for the research with children, I found that like the individual characteristics of the child it really impacted their experiences in inclusive schools. And um, some of these are like behavior issues, behavior challenges. And yeah, so I observed in, in my observation, I, I found children walk out of the class when, when teachers are teaching. I, I observed children look out the window and not pay attention. Is that right? I, yeah. yeah, yeah, I observed children 
like fight with their colleagues. Like they just fight. Some of them will scream while the teacher is teaching. Some of them will slide under under the chair and the teachers were trying to control them. And so some of these behaviors really affected the ability to understand what the teachers were teaching them. And in my interviews with children, they told me that they just couldn't understand what the teachers were teaching. They admitted to me that the teacher will come and stand in front of the classroom. They want to understand, but they are not able to understand. These individual characteristics of the child really impacted their experience. And I also found that like environmental related factors. And when I talk about the environment, I'm talking about the school environment and the home environment impacted their experiences in, in inclusive schools because children told me that when they go home, parents are not able to help them to do their homework. And because I did not talk to parents, I do not want to delve into what the possible reasons could be. But in the literature, some people have found that sometimes some parents are uneducated and so they just are not able to support the children with homework. In future, I hope to delve into that, maybe for a postdoc or something like that. And also in school, children told me that they did not understand what the teachers were teaching. So this is more like a curriculum. So, is, But is, are they not understanding because it's too advanced for them and therefore they should be put into an earlier class? I mean, what is the age group that you were looking at? So I was looking at children between 9 years and 16 years old. Okay, so that's quite quite a range. Yes, it's quite a range. If they've managed to keep up with the curriculum, so that's I guess that's the question, are they yeah. keeping up or are they too, are they been putting in classes that are too advanced for them? So, therefore so, come so well, actually one of my findings was that children with IDD were in age-inappropriate classrooms. Right, okay. um, so a lot of them were older than the classrooms nice. that they are in. And one of the requirements of inclusive education is that children are educated with their age-appropriate peers. Okay, but looking at their cognitive functioning, a lot of them were um, the, the classroom age. So right. this is something that we should look into in the future to see how children can be able to understand the curriculum and still be in the same classroom. Right. Yeah, but I find that children not understanding the curriculum is also because teachers are using the same exercises for all the children. But when we talk about supportive resources, then it means that whatever we need to do in the classroom for these children to be able to understand the lesson, we should be willing to do it. Right. So the lessons can be broken down. There's something called individual education plans that is advice in the literature for children with disabilities. So these children can have like individual education plans. They can be doing the same thing, but in a much, much, much simplified form. It's interesting because I remember when, and it's nothing like what's going on here, but mm-hmm. I remember when I first emigrated to Australia and I went to elementary school. Okay. And I was in a class, what they called an open class. Okay. So we had fourth and fifth graders in the same class. Mm-hmm. And the teacher that we had had to modify the particular program that mm-hmm. we were teaching, yeah. teaching at the time, depending on our level. Yeah. It seems to me that this is what should be happening in these inclusive exactly. classrooms. Exactly. So it's not it's not one one way fits everybody. It is this is the curriculum that right. for this particular group you, you need it broken down a little bit more yeah. is what you said. This yeah. group is the usual way that gets taught. Yeah. And then you still have those in the classroom exactly a bit more advanced. And, and therefore they need to keep being challenged as well. Otherwise yeah. they get bored. Yeah. So you know you could have two ends of the spectrum getting bored because they're not get either challenged enough or the challenge is too big. Exactly. I agree. And Colette, just to go back a little, I spoke to and when I say teachers, there are general general education teachers and there are special education teachers. Right. So the special education teachers in Ghana are mostly trained to teach children with disabilities. Right. And the general 
education teachers will mostly have just maybe one course in their teacher education training program on on disability. There's, so there's a problem there. So there's a problem yeah. because I spoke to 16 general educators and just two special educators because okay. in the whole district there were just two special educators. But I found the special educators knew what to do. They knew how to break down the curriculum. They knew how to simplify things for the children to understand. But they were not always in the classrooms because they, they were only two right. and they needed to move in every single classroom in the district. So that that in itself is a challenge when we talk about resources and we talk about services. We need more of such special educators in Ghana. Now, another theme that came up in my research is interactional patterns. And I found that teachers interacted with children with IDD and also their peers interacted with them. But a lot of the interactions were more on corporal punishment. The teachers, oh. the, yeah, 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 the teachers would, right. would um, so spank. More, more to do with discipline. Yeah, more to do with to. discipline. They would spank the children with IDD because they were not really grasping what was being taught. And one positive thing, though, was that the, some of their peers were really supportive. I would see them go around these children. I observed uh-huh. it and helped them and helped them. And That's it good. was a really positive finding. On the contrary, on the flip side, these same peers would sometimes bully them. And so sometimes I find maybe it's a children's thing because sometimes they would support them. Sometimes they would yes. bully them. So like the pros and cons. To me, that comes down to the teacher having control of the classroom. And if the, if the teacher doesn't quite understand right. how to look after the different groupings within their classroom. Exactly. That causes either bullying and things because what they should be yeah. promoting is more of that let me help you. Let me help. Here. Exactly. Exactly. And, and saying okay well we're doing this da 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 and once you finish if you finish this on time maybe you can go and help yeah. this this particular person. I find a buddy on, and stuff like that. And, and talking to teachers actually was really interesting. They had few positive experiences and a lot of negative um, experiences and the negative ones had to do with resources. Right. Almost every single teacher spoke right. about inadequate um, resources and support and they spoke about how they are not trained and how they are not educated and some teachers spoke about how they are willing to support these children but just do not know how. With that being said then, with the results that you're getting, what are you hoping to come out of this in terms of the Ghana government or the education department in Ghana if they want to continue looking at inclusivity in the classroom are you trying to get them to change their mind saying well if you really want this we've got to put more more resources to exactly it. and these are like some of the implications of my research I believe in doing things but I also believe in doing them well Correct. and so if you know that you are not able to do them well then maybe you need a break and try to revisit your approaches and see you can work better with you can improve so that you give of the best. To me, we can have inclusive education in maybe a few schools, but make it quality. So the government has all the policies and all these policies are on paper, but it's different having policies on paper and it's different actually implementing them. So the government needs to re- make sure that these policies are reinforced, these policies are being implemented. And this is how they can do it. Make sure that teachers are educated, teachers have all the support that they need in terms of training and even for the special educators coming out of training college they still need like continuous professional development continuous it needs to be on a continuous basis because they are always working with these children and sometimes they get frustrated teachers spoke about their salary and how the salaries are really small and so not 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 in terms of what the amount of work that they have to put in yeah exactly so the government needs to needs to work on that and and the big thing that came out really is resources and services 
services and make sure that the policies that we have on paper are actually working in practice. So I think you hit it on the nail when you said, you know, let's let's focus on three or four schools. And do it well. And do it well. So have the right amount of special education yeah. teachers within that school. Exactly. That can really showcase, you know, if we do this correctly with the right resources and right, right curriculum and all those sorts of things, if, we're, if they're all in place, this is what a school can look like. Exactly. And if you can prove it on those and show people this is possible. This is possible. It is then possible. Then have got a better chance of it then spreading out to other schools and getting more of those resources, yeah. teacher training. Exactly. And, sort of and, and Claire, I just wanted to chip in here that the schools that I, I focused on are the public schools. So now some private individuals have private schools right, and right. we also run inclusive education. And going to private schools would, would have given me totally different results. But I wanted to deal with public schools. Yeah, so that, that are government funded. So that are government funded right. so that I can be able to advise government. So do you think with with these, if, if you go back and sort of present this to the education department in Ghana, do you mm-hmm. think if you could make this more successful, mm-hmm. that then other countries in Africa could follow suit? Exactly. I, I think so. And, and so I'm thinking about ways that I can disseminate my research so that it doesn't just lie on a shelf. Well, I'm publishing all my papers. Actually, one is already published. Fantastic. Two of them are under review in, in peer-reviewed journals. And so that will attract the academic community. But how about the parent who yes. is in the home? How would they get to read about my research? Correct. So I want to send the results of my research to NGOs right. in Ghana with who the, can then work with, with communities, like to dis- disseminate the results to communities. Because I find that a lot of times our research, they lie on the shelf. I don't want mine to lie on the shelf. No, no, no. This is, this is too important <laughs> because, you know, like you said, in Ghana, you, you want to get more more kids having the opportunity to have to a good education. To go to school, have yeah. Have a good education. Have a good education because I am here because, by God's grace, I, I have a good education and I got the opportunity to come to Queens. So it's and, giving and, back, so, right? so it's giving back. It's giving back to these children. And I want to even dedicate my research to all vulnerable children, like not just children with IDD, but right. all children who are struggling one way or the other. Because I personally come from a really humble background and I'm just here by God's, God's grace. Yeah. Oh, well, God's grace and a yes. lot of hard work. And a lot of hard work and shout out to my supervisors, uh-huh. Dr. Odyssey and Dr. Rosemary Lysak. Well, they're, they're doing a great uh, job. Yeah, they're doing a great job. There's, there's, there's <laughs> people in their program who are doing some amazing and wonderful... Yeah, yeah, they've so really been supportive. So, yeah, so. I'm good. I'm going to gonna say one quick thing before we finish. You do a lot of volunteer work. So I you, do. You talk about your volunteer with Abel Cell Kingston. I do. Science, which is fantastic. Yeah. You really like to give back, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. I just love volunteering. Even when I was in Ghana, I like to volunteer. So in Kingston, I volunteer with Let's Talk Science. So mm-hmm. this in Let's Talk Science, we go to public schools in the community. We try to engage kids to love science. So right. we do a lot of activities with them. Sometimes I'm a judge. I award marks and stuff like that. Abel Cell Kingston, uh, right in the Kingston community yes. right by the Kingston Yacht Club and so p- disabled people from Onganada come in just for leisure activities and so Fantastic. we'll get on the boat with them and then we'll sail and it's relaxing for me too because I'm always looking on my computer and sometimes I want to relax right yeah, so 
<laughs> so I go and then I do stuff like that. And I do some work with the Center for Teaching and Learning. Actually, Brilliant. I'm an education development associate. So we help graduate students. We help teaching assistants. We help teaching fellows. We help postdocs to develop as skilled post-secondary teachers. So we help them draft teaching dossiers, teaching philosophies and stuff like that. So if anyone is listening to me and they need help with <laughs> teaching dossier and philosophy, you can come to the Center for Teaching and Learning. I love yeah, that. I have a great boss there as well. Her name is Sue. So shout out to Sue as well. She's a director for the Center for Teaching and Learning. And I also, I'm a worship leader in church. I, I oh, sing. I love to sing a lot. Yeah, I do. I do. And so it's also a way to relax. So most of the time, weekends, you find me in church nice. singing. And then I, I'm, I'm learning some basic piano. And when I was a kid, actually, I was playing the saxophone. So I'm a musical person. I, I also volunteer talents. in church. A lot of, Thanks. A lot of hidden talents there. So I love to volunteer and it helps it's, it's me. It's nice that you can give back so much. And you yeah. actually enjoy it. Yeah, I think I've got so much. A lot of people had, have invested in me. And so I also need to give back and, and help other people. Brilliant. Yes. And that is a great way to finish the show. <laughs> so, Christiana, thank you very much for coming on. Thank today. you for having me. That's it, everyone. Another week of Grad Chat suddenly comes to an end. Don't forget you can download this show tomorrow from either iTunes or SoundCloud. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. This show is produced in collaboration with CFRC at Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario, with infrastructure support from Queen's Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Find more great podcasts at podcasts.cfrc.ca.